The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Back on another edition of the Cool Stuff Ride Home podcast. Marcus Paff and Reggie Rizzo here with you as always, bringing you some of the more interesting stories of the day. On today's episode, how much would you pay for your own private island? We'll tell you what you need, plus the animal that sleeps in four-second increments and a big development in the medical world as there's a new pacemaker that uses the human heartbeat to recharge itself. All that plus This Week in History coming up on Cool Stuff Ride Home. Reggie, as a parent, you might relate to this first story. Citing a report in the journal Science, the AP profiles a new discovery that chinstrap penguins of Antarctica actually take thousands of short naps each day in order to stay alert and protect their young. Each quote-unquote nap lasts approximately four seconds. That's it. Four seconds, these micro-sleeps, as they've been dubbed, actually total around 11 hours of sleep per day and are apparently enough to keep the parents going for weeks. I don't know how when you break it up in that manner. Per Niels Rattenborg, a sleep researcher and co-author of the new study, quote, These penguins look like drowsy drivers, blinking their eyes open and shut, and they do it 24-7 for several weeks at a time. What's surprising is that they're able to function okay, and successfully raise their young, end quote. For Christina Larson of the Associated Press, the idea for this particular study came from Won Young Lee, a biologist at the Korean Polar Research Institute. He was conducting field observations and noticed the chinstrap penguins blinking their eyes and seemingly dozing off every few seconds. Says Lee, quote, For these penguins, microsleeps have some restorative functions. If not, they could not endure, end quote. So how do they do it? Well, scientists attached sensors that measure brain waves to some of the penguins in a breeding colony. In total, they collected data on 14 adults over 11 days on King George Island, which is off the coast of Antarctica. No sleep data was collected outside the breeding season, but scientists do believe there's a good chance anyway that the penguins sleep in longer intervals at other times of the year. TBD on that, I suppose. Chinstrap penguins are named for the thin line of black facial feathers resembling a chinstrap and usually lay their eggs in pebble nests in November. Mated pairs share parenting duties, as is the case for numerous types of penguins. One parent tends to the eggs and chicks alone, while the other goes off fishing for family meals. Per the AP, adults don't face many natural predators in the breed season, but large birds called brown skuas prey on eggs and small chicks. Other adults may also try to steal pebbles from nests, and thus the parents must stay vigilant. The study's co-author, Paul Antoine Liberel, says, quote, We don't know yet if the benefits of micro-sleep are the same as for long-consolidated sleep, end quote. They also don't know if other penguin species sleep in a similar fragmented fashion. While this new discovery has fascinated scientists, it's not the first time they've documented some unusual sleep adaptations. A 2016 study found that while flying, frigid birds, I hope I'm saying that correctly, can turn off or sleep in half of their brain. 
These guys actually spend as many as 10 days flying over the ocean, which of course prompted researchers to ask, how do they do it? It still should be noted that the frigid birds sleep just 7.4% of the time they spend sleeping on land, so sleep has taken a hit there. In another example, a study published earlier this year found that wild northern elephant seals can sleep while diving to depths of nearly 1,000 feet. Unlike other marine mammals, they enter full REM sleep as well, with accompanying paralysis, but they do so at depths below those occupied by their predators. So I suppose the threat is not there. You can let loose and take a quick cat nap, but still pretty wild that they're able to do it while diving to those depths. Reggie, going back to the penguins, four second intervals of sleep, I will tell you this, I would be looking like one of those cartoon characters that has red jagged lines throughout their eyes I, I don't think i would be human anymore i would be a monster at that point no and when you first started the story you said it's something that i could relate to i was worried you were talking about the thousands of short naps per day not the four second or <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I, I, I mean the fact that these four second interval naps though actually add up to 11 hours is pretty wild but even so when you're not doing it all at once it just has a totally different vibe to it. I could see these penguins sounding like my dad. Every time he would lay down to take a nap when we were younger, he'd say, I'm just checking my eyes for light leaks. And that sounds like <laughs> what these guys are doing. It's just closing their eyes for a few minutes, making sure no light comes in, and then they're fine. You're fine. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I go home, I still get that from my dad. Oh, just <laughs> resting my eyes. Are you? <laughs> yeah. Okay, sure. For a few hours. There could be big changes for pacemakers that would extend the battery life and reduce the number of surgeries needed to recharge or replace a pacemaker. Scientists in Seattle have developed a pacemaker that harnesses electrical energy from the heartbeat to partially recharge itself. There is a limit on how much it can recharge right now. A heartbeat currently only creates 10% of the energy required for the next heartbeat. However, even that amount could extend the life of the pacemaker. Right now, when a pacemaker needs its battery charged, it will often require heart surgery. This new pacemaker is significantly smaller due to it being wireless. It is about one-third the size of a AAA battery and resides in the heart's right ventricle. Dr. Babak Nazir from the University of Washington led the research for this product and envisions prolonging battery life. We hope to prolong battery life further and expand access of this product to younger patients who would hopefully require fewer implants over their lifetime. He added, when we can improve upon our 10% harvesting efficiency, we hope to partner with one of the major pacemaker companies to incorporate our design and housing into existing leadless pacemaker, end quote. So how does this work? The experimental wireless pacemaker housing converts mechanical energy into electrical energy. Similar to what is being used in the experimental electricity generating roads, Dr. Nazir suggests engineering materials onto implantable medical devices to convert the heart's natural oscillating pressures into voltage, akin to how an ultrasound converts electrical voltage into pressure or sound. The next step is long-term trials on humans. They were also working on increasing the recharge rate for the battery, potentially extending the functional life of the pacemaker significantly. A traditional pacemaker has tiny wires connecting to the heart and typically lasts between 6 to 15 years. So if you are a younger patient that requires pacemakers, the current design would require multiple pacemakers over your lifetime, which could mean several heart surgeries. This product hopes to limit those replacements. Wow, that, that's pretty cool, and it seems like the implications here are obvious. Of course, limiting the number of heart surgeries, which I would imagine, Reggie, are always high risk at some level. Nobody wants to have heart surgery, and, and to have to go in and replace, rather, a pacemaker multiple times over your lifetime. 
just sounds miserable. So certainly a, a huge step forward here, potentially, and one that sounds like is going to be followed by subsequent steps to where maybe they never need a, another heart surgery again because this battery can continue to recharge itself. Yeah, and this story, it's funny that it came around a time that just recently, for whatever reason, I was thinking, how do they replace the batteries for a pacemaker? Do they have to go back in? Which obviously they do for most of the time. So yeah, if they could increase that recharge rate, this could be a huge medical breakthrough. These are some of my favorite stories that we get to to bring to you on the podcast. These medical breakthroughs, things that, that lead to the betterment of mankind, quite frankly, because I think that's what it is. So cool to see scientists, medical professionals uh, advancing the game here, so to speak, and, and coming up with stuff like this. Wild. And as we like to say, it'll be amazing to see where we're at in another 10 years. In Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Live Boricua. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Well, if you've ever wondered how much money it would take to leave your job and purchase a private island, the answer is $2.5 million, at least for one island in the Florida Keys that recently went on the market. The island, which was actually featured on a 2014 episode of HGTV's Buying the Beach, isn't the largest you could find at nearly 9,200 square feet or a little under a quarter of an acre. Uh, but hey, it's a private island, and a private island is a private island. Pretty Joe Rock, or Seashell Key, as it's been dubbed per a UPI report, is located just offshore from the city of Marathon. Marathon itself is about an hour east of Key West, for reference. Of course, living the island life comes with its share of risks, uh, most specifically hurricanes. Back in 2017, Hurricane Irma destroyed the single-family home that was located on this particular property. Per the listing on Private Islands, Inc., of course, one of my favorite websites to visit just to see what's out there for me. I'm kidding. Quote, plans are underway to build a brand new single family home here that will offer spectacular views of the Gulf of Mexico and incredible sunsets, end quote. If you're wondering what the rest of the listing sounds like, meaning how are they pitching this thing? Well, it goes like this, quote, out of the approximately 1,700 islands in the Florida Keys, only 34 offshore properties feature houses on them, and only nine islands have only one house. Not only is Pretty Joe Rock one of those islands, but it also boasts rare perks like mainland electricity and city water, and includes deeded shore access with a dock and parking so close to the island you can see it. Oh yeah, and this little beauty has also been featured on HGTV, end quote. Apparently, the latter is a pretty big selling point. My first reaction to this was, it's only $2.5 million? And I don't say that because I have that kind of money. I don't. Mm -hmm. I'm, <laughs> you got to be ultra wealthy to afford something like that. But there are parts of this country where that number might not even 
buy you a lot. And I'm thinking specifically about some of the neighborhoods in Southern California. If you're telling me I can have a private island with electricity and city water for $2.5 million, I'd pounce on that. If I had the money, that is. I don't know. The hurricane, the hurricane still gets me there that I wonder what the insurance is. Does the insurance even cover this? So how, <laughs> yeah, it, it might question. be 2.5 million, but how many times you're going to have to rebuild that house? Well, you know, what? I, I mean, can't you find an architect who has some sort of a forward design to plan for that sort of thing so that it's not necessarily a, a, a multi-story house that might be a little more vulnerable, I guess? I don't know. I'm not a professional, and I probably shouldn't be speculating on things like that. But if, you, if I have $2.5 to spend on a private island, I probably have enough money to buy a house elsewhere where hurricanes don't exist. So I'm just saying. So you're telling me for this house, you wouldn't build a straw house or a stick house. You'd go with the the brick house. I read the three little pigs. I know <laughs> yes. what I'm doing here. You got to huff and puff to get that one down. <laughs> maybe one day, Reg, maybe one day we'll do the podcast from our very own Cool Stuff Ride Home Private Island. Taking a look at this day in history, in 1948, George Orwell completed the final draft of the book 1984, which was published on June 8th, 1949. George Orwell is actually a pen name of Eric Arthur Blair. He was born in India, but was raised and educated in England from the age of one. Orwell published three works of nonfiction and six novels, with 1984 being the last one he would release. He died of tuberculosis in January of 1950 at a London hospital. Did you ever read 1984 or any of his other works? You know what? I'm, I'm ashamed to say I never did read 1984. I'm very familiar with the concept, the premise of that book. Of course, it's talked about all the time. Well, And how many commercials have been made out of it or, you know, yeah. TV shows or they believe Simpsons did an episode, 1984 Simpsons episode. Well, there's no doubt that uh, George Orwell was onto something with that book. And certainly we've seen a lot of things, a lot of the themes in it anyway, come to fruition. What I didn't realize, though, Reg, I didn't know George Orwell was a pen name for Eric I Arthur Blair. That's that's a new fact for me. I did not know that either until I looked that up. So yeah, that's that's a new new fact for me as well. I wonder how he came up with the name. That's uh, that's always one when you read about folks who had pen names, Mark Twain, for yeah. example. Uh, where did it come from? What's the origin? We'll have I, to cover that on another episode. Yeah, I don't know that. I do know that he didn't always go by George Orwell. He still used his real name quite often in real life as well. In fact, one of his early wor works was under his real name. Much like a stage name, I suppose, you have plausible deniability when you're out and about. If you become famous, you can always just say, nope, I'm Eric Arthur Blair. Check my ID. No George Orwell here. <laughs> yeah. That'll do it for another edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. Connect with us by email using the address coolstuffcommute at gmail.com. Coolstuffcommute at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. For Reggie Rizzo, I'm Marcus Path, back with another edition tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Have a great rest of your day.